Good morning, everyone.
Okay, I'll be right back with you. Let me hang up my guitar. All right, uh, good morning again to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1? We're going to wrap up our study today of Ephesians 1, 5, and this will be our third hour in this verse. And the reason why it took three hours is because of the content. That's what's going to determine how long I spend in a verse. And, uh, of course, this will be different than a marked difference if those of you who have done uh, uh, historical narratives with me like Genesis or Exodus, I take bigger, bigger chunks of uh, passages because those are not, a lot of those are historical narratives, and so our historical narratives. So I take big. I could take a paragraph, or sometimes a chapter, uh, uh, when I did those books. So, but uh, when Paul, we do Paul's writings or the epistles. You can take. There's sometimes there, so much in these verses that uh, propositions, commands, whatever, and uh, so a lot of these times we could take an. I could take a lesson on 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 each of these statements, and I have. Uh, that we see in Ephesians 1.5. In fact, I'm going to take a really slow going through this epistle. And just uh, and of course, when I do, I always remind. I remember when I when I teach. Uh, this is why I look at each passage in its context. Um, so you'll see me read the whole chapter practically. Like today, we'll read all the way to verse 14 as we've been doing. And because verse 5 is found in this uh, doxology, the preface to the, the Ephesian epistle. And so, uh, but I always go back, I mean, we're, right now we're looking at the trees of the forest, but I always look at the big picture, the whole forest. So we don't want to, I've been in, I've done it in, in the past and I've seen guys do it, they, they're occupied with a verse and we, you know, or they go off on a tangent and they go off onto some doctrine from a verse. And I used to do this too, but you lose track of where you are in the book. <laughs> so uh, people get, you know, so uh, that's why I, I, when I was in, uh, when I was in Iowa, Marion, Iowa, I, I decided, you know, I'm going to put the, Instead of doing like the doctrine of prayer, like uh, as I did one time when it was Philippians, my first started out, uh, you know, I would be in Philippians one nine, and then I'd spend like eighty seven hours in prayer. I think I did. So then we try to go back to where we were. It's like where are we in this? You know, so I had to go over and so um, so therefore I I said that's that's silly doing it that way. So I said I'll do the different doctrines of the, of, of the Christian faith in between books I do. So uh, so that's what I do here at Winston Bible Ministry. So. Uh, we've, you know, we've done a whole slew of doctrines and part of, you know, and I set them up on our website under uh, different categories of systematic theology. But we also have a bibliology we study, you know, that we, we utilize here in this ministry. I don't really talk about it as much as I do the other thing because I don't have a, a library that's set out in bibliology. But we're doing the different books of the Bible and we're an expository type ministry. So, um, glad you're with us, and as, as as you can see on the board, our last uh, hour in verse five is going to be discussing that uh, love was the reason why the Father predestinated you and I as church age believers, and that's why I sang that song at the beginning. Uh, that song's my, I think, is probably one of my favorite songs that I ever wrote, and uh, that was on my Love of My Life collection of songs, which is actually the first collection of songs I did when I was at my first church plant. I did actually I did some songs earlier on, yeah, uh, but this one was uh, uh, um, 
the first really big collection. I, I the other songs I wrote earlier at, at my time at Prairie View, I put on uh, different uh, uh, collection of songs later on. They're kind of scattered throughout, but this was the first. The Love of My Life collection of songs, which was my, my first concerted effort to just write 14 songs, just write those 14 songs, record them. You know, we didn't record them professionally, though I'm starting to record some of my stuff professionally now with somebody. And, um, but um, uh, then, you know, I just, I like, like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to find out uh, what I could do. I want to write another collection of 14 songs. My, that song I wrote for my brother Kenny back in November will probably be on that. And uh, so I have a, several different ideas, I, you know, I could, you know, knock off, like, I probably could do three a song. So what I used to do at Prairie View is I, or, is I would take a day, like on a Saturday, and just, you know, write a song and then record it on myself and then play it before the congregation the next day. So that's what uh, I might be doing in the, in the near future. So we'll say, um, just keep that in prayer. I'd like to get going on that. And, uh, you know, because I'm not getting any younger, so I'm 61, so... Well, I have my voice is uh, still decent. Hopefully, I can keep. I'm trying to take care of myself, <laughs> although smoking those occasional cigars, <laughs> those cigars aren't exactly the uh, the greatest, brightest thing to do when you get to teach the next morning. So, um, but anyway, so uh, I, you know, I still got my range. So I just uh, and, uh, but uh, so I'm looking for a new new collection of songs. Oh, if you want to, if you like my music, you can go download it at wednesday.org. You just hit the music tab and. They recorded video and audio on our, our YouTube page as well. Just search for me under, in Google under Bill Wenstrom, and you'll see my our, our YouTube page. Or you can click it on the insignia at the bottom of Wenstrom.org. You'll see the little tiny little insignia for for YouTube at the bottom with our Facebook page. So uh, let's uh, take a moment of silent prayer. As is our custom, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, determine if we're in fellowship with God. Because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. According to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing, and we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5, 18, to be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3, 16, to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. And uh, this is very important, and uh, there are a lot of uh, guys, there's a lot of false doctrine out there, people saying you don't have to confess your sins as a believer. Uh, they don't understand the positional, experiential, and perfective aspect of their sanctification and salvation. Uh, they don't really take seriously God's holiness and that we have a sin nature, so God's not going to have fellowship with us. And they don't understand the distinction between our eternal relationship and fellowship with God, and uh, that's a real big problem now. So now they're teaching people, and because and people get fooled by this because they're not really grounded in why they, this is why I've been emphasizing it over here at Doctrine Bible Church, and I've done it here for years now. Bunch of Bible studies. You get, believe. You got to understand why you believe what you believe. So we believe that confession of sins is absolutely essential in order to have fellowship, maintain your fellowship with God. Now, why is that important? Why do we? Why do we believe that? What's what scriptures do we have? And so there's like, for instance, uh, there. You know, as I just made, gave you a few examples, God is holy. We're still. We still have a sin nature. We sin. And if, so I would say to a person who says who says they don't have to confess their sins, I say, well, if you don't have to confess your sins. Uh, then uh, how can God have fellowship with you? Is God holy? Yes. Okay. Well, if you're in sin, does that mean, how can you have fellowship with you? He's not going to have fellowship with you. You're kid you don't understand God's holiness then. And uh, I, I, you know, and I always like to use analogy. So if when I'm, uh, my, when I, my parents gave me some certain rules, regulations, and if I didn't mow the lawn or they told me to do something, I didn't mow the lawn or paint the house or whatever it was, um, uh, they would, uh, I wouldn't have uh, fellowship with them. I wouldn't have dinner. You know, if I was disobedient to them, I'm still a Wenstrom. I'm still in their family, although they might at many times want to disown me. They're not going to disown me. I'm just, I'm just going to be punished. I'm going to be disciplined. Well, that's what God does in His family, and He's the perfect parent now, isn't He? So, First John one nine says, if we're, con we're to confess our sins, and He's writing that to believers, and there's people out there that are teaching this, and I've gone out with some people. I've, I've got written articles on, and a massive number of hits, and I note that the, the, on on these articles about it, and we did this in our study of First John. It's written to believers. To anybody who says it's written to a non-believer, they just they just they just made a fool of themselves. I mean, it clearly says little. He says little children. You're not saying that to uh, to uh, unbelievers. He wouldn't say that address address them as little children. Plus, he says if we he includes himself in it. If we confess our sins to the Father, I mean, come on, talk about this is what I'm talking about. The guys getting have been ordained 
who and 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 boy, I tell you, good luck to the person who they're in trouble who who ordained these people who should have never have been ordained. Uh, then they can't they don't even understand basic principles of interpretation, and uh, it's pretty embarrassing. It's embarrassing to watch, and it's also infuriates me because there are people who are getting hurt by this. And I can understand the, the the baby believers I have a respect, but there's some people people who should know better. I don't feel too bad for them. They get what they deserve. They they should be they should know better than to fall for that kind of false doctrine. And uh, so this is a serious situation going on in the church, and uh, it's 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 infiltrated so-called doctrinal churches as they like to call themselves, you know. And uh, so I uh, you know. <laughs> is a big problem. So, and a lot of those re reasons why the people are falling for this false darkness because, again, they don't know why they have to confess their sins. They don't understand their sanctification and it's in stages and they don't understand the positional aspect of, what that, of sanctification and salvation, what that means, or ex the perfective one. So we've gone on for all these things in the past and our, and our website. So very important uh, now that, uh, that uh, we pay attention and, and show respect for God and remember, he's he's holy. God is light. First John one five. That means he's holy. He's holiness. He's holy. He's got a holy person. He doesn't have fellowship with sinners, unless he there's a and he has fellowship in you know, a relationship with sinners through faith in his son Jesus Christ. That gets us in the family. But if we go back to sinning again, then we have to confess it. And uh, you know, the, you know, even Jesus said in the disciples' prayer, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us." It's in the disciples' prayer. I don't call it the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer because they asked him how to teach, uh, to pray. So he even meant, Jesus mentions this. So uh, so if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing you, distracting you right now, something bothering you, disturbing you, distracting me is those people. <laughs> they teach in false doctrine. You don't have to confess your sins. But uh, So let's, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing you, distracting you, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7. So with our mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us uh, so graciously another day. We don't take it for granted, Lord, that you could have taken us home last night or this morning, but we're here on this earth still, and I thank you for that. I thank you for that I'm still here and, uh, and able to serve you down here, but I know that, uh, it, as Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain, and uh, of course I would rather be with you and your son right now uh, at the throne and worshiping you and your son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Spirit, but I thank you for that you give me a privilege to... Uh, to uh, glorify you and to speak to your people about your tremendous character, you know, that, that tremendous attribute of yours of love that you demonstrated toward us when you sent your son to the cross when we were your enemies, to suffer your wrath in our place and to live the life of perfect obedience that we could not live because we're all sinners by nature and practice. And also demonstrating that love at the moment of our justification through the baptism of the Spirit, raising us up and seating us with your son Jesus Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at your right hand and now, with your son, Jesus Christ, uh, you re you've rest uh, restored humanity to its rightful place, with your original plan, which was to uh, human beings were to rule over your creation. And now, with the fall of Adam, uh, you've uh, gained that back, that rulership for us human beings, through your son, Jesus Christ, his, his finished work on the cross and resurrection and session at your right hand. So now we are in a place of uh, authority. We're uh, ruling over the works of your hands, Though the world doesn't see us as we really are, we, they will at, at the second advent of your son when we come back to establish your kingdom on this earth. And uh, so I just pray, Father, that you'd help us all to live accordingly, to live in, and operate in the command to love one another when interacting with each other and also uh, in the body of Christ and also outside the body of Christ so that we might bring glory to you and demonstrate that we're disciples of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, today that this lesson will be a great blessing to your people uh, who are watching or listening live, uh, the, and also for those who listen to these recordings or watch these recordings at a later date, I pray you would use them mightily by the power of the Spirit, help me to communicate to your people uh, your full counsel today with regards to this subject uh, in Ephesians 1.5, that your love was the reason why you predestinate us, church-age believers, to adoption as sons. 
and to be conformed to the image of your Son. I pray, Father, you work mightily and powerfully through your people. Help them to learn, understand what's being taught, make application, to concentrate. Please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. And I also pray, Father, that there be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and, and uh, the upload of these things to our various websites, podcasts, the immediate platforms that you've given to us. And thank you for them, Father. Thank you, and I pray you use them mightily and protect them from the evil one. And also, if there's any non-Christians in the audience, and I thank you for them. And I just pray, Father, that uh, they'd be able to, the Spirit, understand the gospel so that they can make a decision to accept or reject your Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. And I know that you, uh, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 4, and other places, 2 Peter 3, 9, that you desire all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. So we pray for the service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. If you haven't turned there already, please go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read uh, the first 14 verses of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and then we'll look at verse 5 in detail, in particular the final um, the prepositional phrase, anagape, uh, which I translate because of his love, we're going to be looking at that in detail. And uh, actually many translations uh, put it with verse 4, but it's actually uh, connected to verse 5 in the verb pro orizo, uh, which means to pre, uh, predestine or predestinate in Ephesians 1.5. So, uh, and we'll give our reasons why that prepositional phrase should be with that verb in the participial form pro orizo in verse 5 rather than the previous verse, verse 4. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And let's see, today I've, I've been reading for the, uh, the NI, the ESV, but uh, let's let's do the Net Bible. Let's read uh, the first 14 verses, and then we'll look at my translation of verses 3 through 5, and, uh, and then we'll look at, as I said before, that prepositional phrase in verse 5 in Agape. So it says in Ephesians 1, 1, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have the body of the letter beginning there after we had the salutation. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight in love. He did, now so does, see this prepositional phrase, in love? The Net Bible puts it with verse 4. But I believe it should be, with, and I'll give my reasons why, and many do agree with me. I'm not the only one. Uh, it should go with this verb pro orizo, translated predestining. So it says uh, in verse 5, he did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. And now that's uh, verses 3 through 6 is discussion of the Father's work on our behalf in eternity past, which is for the praise of his glory his glorious grace, and then verses 7 through 12 is a discussion of the work of Christ on the cross and redeeming us, which was also for the praise of the Father, uh, glorious praise of the Father. So verse 7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, through His Son, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, that He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when He revealed to us the secret of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ, toward the administration of the fullness of the times, to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ would be the praise of his glory. Now, verses 13 and 14, we have again the discussion of the work of the Holy Spirit and our justification, which was also to the praise of the Father's glory. Verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, talking about their justification, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance, rewards for faithful service, and until the redemption of God's own possession, the resurrection, the church, when the church gets their resurrection bodies, and this is to the praise of the Father's glory. Let me give you my translation of verses 3 to 5. God, the God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, is worthy of praise. Uh, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For he chose each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him alone before creation in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment. He did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of of his will. So you see this trans, uh, my translation, because of his love in verse 5, 
So I'm, I'm, that's, uh, that uh, is the, the prepositional phrase, en agape. And this is what it looks like there in the Greek, and here's the transliteration. The prepositional phrase, en agape, I translate because of his love. It's mod- I believe it's modifying the, the nominative masculine singular aris active participle conjugation of the verb pro orizo, which I translate by predestinating, which appears in verse 5. So, if you look at the Net Bible again, they have in verse 4 and 5, he says, For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be, may be holy and unblemished in his sight and in love. And they put the parrot, they put the parrot there. So they believe it's connected for, to eklego, uh, eklegomai, which is translated he chose, talking about the father, father electing us. He did this out of love. But then we have, then they say he did this by predestinating us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will. The NIV, they translate, they do, the, they do something a little bit different though. Uh, they look uh, they look at it as being connected to verse 5. And, and so it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his love. And then the period, after sight. Then they say, in love. And that's because they believe it goes with he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, I don't know why they just didn't put it at the beginning of verse 5. Uh, and here's another thing. The the verse markings in the chapter divisions they're not inspired by God. They were put in later, but supposedly by Stephanus on horseback. <laughs> I like to see that one. But uh, anyways, uh, supposedly he was the guy who did it in, in a long time ago, thousands, uh, hundreds, hundreds of years ago, like 15 something, I forget what it was. So uh, the, if you look at the original, if you look at copies of the, uh, the original autographs, like, you know, go back at like uh, Vaticanus or Sinaticus, and you'll see you know, they, there's no chapter division verse mark. It's a great idea. Boy, that was a great idea. It saves us a lot of time finding stuff, right? And that's why you'll see, like in Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews, who I think is Paul, will go somewhere it says, you know, it's in the Psalms, it's something he's quoting. And so, um, because there's no chapter and division and verse markings in the original autographs. So it was a great invention. But uh, we see here, that I don't know why the NIV doesn't just put in love with predestined. See, so notice... Uh, they, they have a, they, 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 it looks like, they, in love actually they believe goes with verse, pre, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. So they believe it should be with verse 5. I don't know why they didn't slide it over. Uh, I'd have to ask them that. And uh, if I was uh, had the chance. Uh, and then you have the same thing with the ESV. Notice they have the, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him, period. Then they say, in love. And they look at that as like the NIV as being going as going with predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So, uh, so my in my translation as I just showed you, I pointed out to you, I have in verse uh, four for he chose us, chose each and every one of us for his own purpose because of him, Christ alone, before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy as well as insensual in his judgment. Then verse five he. Pre, he did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love. So I put in love, I translate it because of love, and I'll give you my reason why I believe it's causal, the preposition there. It's a marker of cause rather than location. I'm going to give you my reasons for that too. And so I notice how I explain my translations, okay, and my, and, and my interpretations. So because of love, I, I put it down there in the trans, further down the road in the translation, though it's at the, it's fronted at the beginning of the verse, we call it, in the preposition in the original language. So like if I showed you the, the Nestle Elan text, we see here, uh, you see right here, an agape at the end of verse four, and this is Nestle Elan text, 20, it's the 28th uh, version, uh, edition. And then so I pro, uh, pro orisas, Okay, that's the predestinating us. That's the participle form of the verb pro orizo. So I believe an agape is connected to this. So if you put, really, this is actually starting a new thought in agape. And it should be right here, which is connected to verse 4, this thought. But it, you could move it down here, verse 5. I just don't know why they didn't do that. Probably because tradition, whatever, you know. So uh, the prepositional phrase, as I said before, and agape, because of his love is how I translate it. And I'll give you again my reason why I should, we should translate it not in love, but because of love. So this prepositional phrase is modifying the participle conjugation of the verb pro orizo, which I translate by predestinating, which appears in verse 5 at the beginning. So now there's several indications as to why I think this is the correct interpretation. The first is obviously is obvious. The namely the placement, as I've been pointing out, of this prepositional phrase at the end of verse four is awkward. So it's more in line 
with Greek um, Paul's syntax, where he that preposition would be going with the participle that follows, rather than all the way at the end of the verse. Uh, you know, so he's modified. He has a uh, eklego. Okay, here's the here's the uh, here's the part here's the uh, uh, the verb eklego here or the. Um, uh, the uh, the the indi- third person singular arismidal indicative form of it, and uh, ex elezato, and that word right there is uh, mo- they're saying some say when they put it with verse four they're saying it modify and agape modifies this verb and notice how it's how far away it is from the the verb but that's no big deal in Greek that can you can do that it does, but uh, it se- it seems more likely that you know far as the syntax it'd be it's more awkward having at the end, at the very end of verse four, going with eklegomai, which is at the beginning of the verse, than with proreza, which is right next door to it in verse five. So again, the first reason why I think uh, my translation is the proper one and uh, it, that uh, I think the NIV and the uh, the ESV are correct rather than that Bible, uh, the first reason why it should be going with uh, proorizo, this prepositional phrase, and agape, is obvious, namely, the placement of this prepositional phrase at the end of verse four would be awkward. However, this is not the case. It won't be awkward if we put it with the verb pro orizo. It's modifying that word. I also believe that this prepositional phrase anagape is expressing the idea that the exercise of God's attributes, attribute of love, was the reason why he predestinated the church age believer to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. His love was the reason. His love was the reason because it motivated him to predestinate the believer. His love was the reason because it motivated him to sacrifice his son at the cross, which provided the basis for him to elect and predestinate us. It was also uh, manifested at the church age believers justification through the baptism of the spirit, which identified them with Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the father's right hand. Furthermore, I interpret the action of the participle conjugation of this verb pro orizo by which I translate by predestinating, as taking place simultaneously with the third person, um, aris, uh, third person singular, aris, middle, indicative conjugation of the verb eklegomai, which it is pointed out to you in the Nestle Alan text, which is translated he chose in verse four. So this is indicated uh, by the fact that both verbs, pro orizo and eklegomai, are in the aris tense, which indicate that election, which eklegomai is expressing, and predestination, which is Orizo is expressing, it indicates the aris tense of both these verbs indicates that they took place at the same time. So as we will note, the father predestinating the believer was the means by which he elected them, as we noted, actually. Also, if the prepositional phrase anagape, which I translate again because of his love, is modifying the verb pro orizo, then it would serve as a bookend with a prepositional phrase ento agapameno. And that word is, I translate that verb in the participial uh, f- form uh, because of the one who is divinely loved, which appears at the end of verse six. And so that, uh, let's see, that, um, where is it? Right there. So it's the participial conjugation of the verb agapo. Agapao, excuse me. <laughs> agapo. Agapao. So that word agapao in verse six, okay, it's in the participial conjugation. It would be bookending with uh, the uh, pro orizo. Okay, so if the prepositional phrase enagape is modifying the verb pro orizo, then it would serve as a bookend because of his love, enagape, with the prepositional phrase en agapameno, ento agapameno, uh, which appears at the end of verse six. So enagape and ento agapameno, that would, they, those two prepositional phrases would bookend this whole section in Ephesians. Uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 4 through 6. Now, the latter, as we'll see, expresses the, the, the phrase, uh, the, la- that, the pre- prepositional phrase in verse 6, at the end of verse 6, which I translate because of the one who is divinely loved, ento agapameno, uh, that uh, expresses the fact that Jesus Christ is the Father's beloved Son, whose sacrifice on the cross of Calvary was the means by which the Father freely bestowed His glorious grace on the church-age believer. Correspondingly, this is interesting, the prepositional phrase dia Iesu Christu, through Jesus Christ. It speaks of Jesus Christ being the personal, intermediate agency through whom the Father predestinated the church-age believer for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of the exercise of the attribute of his love, which was according to the pleasure of his will. And this particular prepositional phrase, dia 
Jesu Christu, uh, to Jesus Christ, it's joining the prepositional phrases, and agape, and ento agapemeno. Uh, they're, they're actually joining this uh, dia, Jesu Christu, through Jesus Christ, is actually joining those two prepositional phrases, people. So that would indicate to us something interesting. This would in therefore indicate that Jesus Christ is the Father's personal intermediate agency who manifested his attribute of love on behalf of the church age believer. And his grace, the Father's grace, flows to us from his attribute of love, which was the reason why the Father predestinated the church age believer to adoption as his sons in the first place. Now, in Ephesians 1.5, that prepositional phrase, and agape, which I translated, as I pointed out, because of his love, it's actually presenting the reason why the Father predestinated the church age believer to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ. So a lot of the translations just go... And agape is translated in love. They all translated in love. Now, the preposition "n" has a wide semantic range. It depends on the context. It's determined. It's determined by the context. So I believe it's causal there. That's why I translate preposition not "in" "in," but because of. And uh, it's expressing. I believe that this prepositional phrase is expressing the idea of the Father predestinating us for the purpose of adoption as His sons because of His attribute of love, quote unquote in eternity past, through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will. So the Father's attribute of love, again, what, this is why I translated causal, this preposition phrase, is because the Father, his attribute of love, was the reason why he predestinated us. Because of his, it was because of his love and uh, for the believer, which motivated him to sacrifice his son at the cross for them when they were his enemies. His love for them uh, also motivated uh, him to, be, to identify us with his son Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection session at his right hand through the baptism of the spirit when we were spiritually dead and, uh, and uh, in our sins and transgressions. Both of which, both of these acts of the Father manifest the fact that he elected us by predestinating us in eternity past. So uh, as it says in, uh, if you look at uh, the, the, uh, the Net Bible, it says in Romans, look at Romans chapter 5. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? So love was the reason why he predestinated us and elected us. Uh, look at Ephesians. And, and also, uh, he, so he manifested his love at the cross when we were his enemies. Uh, look at it, it says in Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Uh, through, actually, uh, two, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Again, I'm reading from the Net Bible. And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the rule of the kingdom of the air, the rule of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives in the cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love. This is why he was merciful because of his great love with which he loved us. Even though we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You were saved. And then it says, and this is all from his attribute of love and because he, he loves us. And he raised us up with him, Christ and seated us with him, Christ and the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Why? To demonstrate in the coming ages, the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, us wicked sinners, look at how he treated us. We're ruling over the works of God's hands now through faith in his son and our identification with him. <laughs> Amazing, huh? Amazing what God has done for us. And yet we don't take the time to think about it and praise God instead we complain. And we worry and we're anxious. We are in rule. You're sitting at the right hand of the Father. We're down on earth, but that's how God looks at you and I as seated at his right hand with his son. He looks at us as he looks at his son. You can't get much better than that in life. It's better than getting a million dollars in the mail. You know, rock. You know, guy. You know, winning a, a publisher's clearinghouse. <laughs> it beats that because all that stuff. You know, all the stuff that we have and the bank accounts and the money. It's all gonna go anyways. It's all gonna burn. This world is toast. It's just as good. It's, it's gonna be wiped off. The, this place is gonna be cleansed of its evil, sinful practices by the Lord Jesus Christ at His second advent, and also during the the tribulation period with those seven seal trumpet and bold judgments. So don't hang too closely to these things. You either you or either you or these things, you're going to be separated from these things and stuff or they'll be separated from you. One way or the other that don't hang on to these things. They're, they're, uh, 
they're not eternal. Our relationship with God is the most valuable possession that we have. And, you, and we demonstrate that by our priorities. You know, you, people talk about talk a good game. You know, I've heard many Christians as a pastor who talk a good game because they're trying to impress me because they know I'm a pastor. But if I spend a little time with them and, you know, get to know them a little bit and I see their lives and their, their way they, they do things, you can tell that their relationship with God is not really the most important thing to them. You know, their, their, uh, their vacations or their dogs or their cats or their, and which has got me in trouble with the cat lovers and the dog lovers, I'm sure. But I don't really care because I'm trying to help them wake up before it's too late. They're going to lose rewards and they're not, they're not really getting the most out of their relationship with God, which is actually their most valuable possessions. Like having a billion dollars and you're not even using it. <laughs> it's because you're too cheap. <laughs> I know people have, they have all kinds of money, but they're too cheap to spend it on and help somebody with it. They just hang on to the money. But uh, and not that I'm asking for my, just, you know, I'm trying to make a point here, okay? I'm not, you know, make, taking up an offering here. Have you never even seen me do an offering here, have you? So I'm telling you right now that the, what is the, I can tell by people's attitudes and their way they do things and their product, their, their, their priorities that, uh, you know, that's why, you know, look at just take attending Bible class. You can tell if somebody values, you know, I know there's reasons why not to come to Bible class, but you know, there are some people, it, you know, if they really value their relationship with God, they'd be class, they'd make it a priority to be a class. I mean, I tell you what, I remember going to classes. I had... This is a truth. I mean, many times, I was sick as a dog and I, or in tremendous pain. I'd go to Bible class anyways. Better than sitting home and feeling sorry for myself. Or, you know, you know and, uh, and so I would, I remember one time I had, uh, I had these gas permeable um, contacts. The doctor told me about it. I shouldn't have ever gone into them because I, my, I, my eyes don't water very much and I'm like, I'm on a computer all the time. And so I was at, I was at dinner and I felt the thing kind of pop out of my eye a little bit so I push it back in and it was at night and so when I got up the next morning it was like you know I, I, I felt kind of like weird but it wasn't any pain the sun comes up more and more and I'm trying to stay and I can barely you know I can barely see and uh, so I get to work I drive to work and my boss goes your eye is like super red and uh, I said really and so by noontime it was brutal uh, you know it's like I had to go to the doctor so I drove to the doctor's he said, you tore a layer. I went to the emergency room. You tore a layer off your cornea. And I remember probably within three or four years of that, I went to the eye doctors to get uh, new glasses and everything. And the eye doctor said, do you have an inju injury to your eye? I go, yeah. And he goes, man, you, you, you could, you were that close to going blind in that eye. And I was, I, I, I mean, and I was in a lot. It was really it was really painful i mean i broke in my tibia snapped it in half and i know that's that was probably the most difficult but when it's your eyes you're like oh. so i'm like so then about 10 years after that i got a or seven or eight years after that i got went to an eye doctor i talked to him discuss i said do you see any scar they go no no scar so i guess it healed so i'm like oh thank god so don't take for uh, for um granted your eyes or anything <laughs> so anyways I was at Bible class that night. I was wearing sunglasses and it was, and uh, they had, you know, I had stuff on it and uh, it was, it was born. I never wore, I never wear contacts again. And I just went to fully eyeglasses all the time. And I used to get, wear contacts to help me play softball. I didn't like to have glasses out playing ball. And uh, so I'll never wear, you know, I will soft, I will soft, the soft contacts if I have to, but I don't care anymore. I don't care how I look. And I like glasses. It doesn't matter. I don't really care anymore. It's not like I'm young anymore and trying to impress any girls. And those days are long gone. So anyways, my point was, you know, I'd be, I'd be Bible class if I was hurting. I don't care. I remember I, 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 remember I, uh, I don't know what I did to my ankle. I was playing wiffle ball with some kids and I, my ankle, I thought I tore my ligaments in my right ankle. And I was at Bible class teaching the next day. And I'm not in my cowboy boots. I was in my flat shoes and it was hurting. I was like, oh, I hope I didn't tear that. It looks like I didn't. I think I strained all the tendons in my right ankle. And I was trying to take a mighty cut to, hit, uh, to show these kids who's the boss at wiffle ball. Of course, I didn't touch the ball. <laughs> I, used to be a, I used to be a champion world wiffle ball players back in the day. I was actually in tournaments, two on two, that they do it all the time. They get money and everything. We actually, a guy I was playing with, he was an ex-Marine. 
and boy, we trash talk. We won. We played in Connecticut. Me and this other guy, who was a friend of mine, uh, his. Oh, it was his, it was uh, the, his wife's brother. So we played together two on two wiffle championship, and we won. We we won the first year, and then we should have won the the second year. But uh, I don't. I forget the reason why we didn't win the second. It was down to the last that bad. And uh, anyways, so you, know, you, you people don't go to Bible. You know, they oh I got a you know I got a sniffle. And I was like, God, oh, sure, it's come on. Like, but they'll you know people have excuses. You know, it takes a you know to, you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think most Christians don't love God with all their strength. Quite frankly, I'm not impressed with a lot of people with their you know it's like if you were really valued relationship with God. Back to my point, all the way back to my point again, you go to Bible class every night. You would you would be a priority. It's like because that's the most valuable thing to you. Yeah, but yet people will go, and I mean, I understand you get people get families and kids. I get all that stuff, okay? But geez, most of the time, people get making their kids as an excuse why they didn't get the Bible class. It's only gonna take about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I used to drive to Bible class. I used to drive a Bible class when I worked in, oh gosh, when I lived in uh, Fall River and I lived in uh, West Warwick, Rhode Island. I, I drove to Bible class and to work an hour each day and then go to Bible class. Like, I was on the road two and a half hours. I did it for years. I did it for years. I don't know how I did it. God's power. I have no idea. That was, that was crazy. But I was at Bible class every night. Didn't miss, a, didn't miss anything. Even when I was felt like garbage. Okay? And this time when, I've, when, I'm, when I've, I've been, you know, teaching the Word of God over the years, that, you know, you know, people don't really, I mean, the stuff I was going to through, no people, I have no any clue, any clue what was going on. But I was there. I was there because why? I value my relationship with God. And you say you're bragging. No, I'm not bragging. I'm trying to set it. I'm supposed to set an example. It's the most important thing in my life. So you, you want to criticize me for that? It's the truth. Even my enemies know that. Even my enemies know that about me. You, you can sit there and say whatever you want about me, but my enemies, they can't deny, you know, this guy, he's a lunatic. He's, he's, a, he's zealous. You know, they used to call me the, zeal, the zealot uh, back in the day when I first got saved. And uh, because I value my relationship with God, you know, he's everything to me, you know. And, how, you know, how, how did you make it through not being married and kids and I wanted all that stuff. But my relationship with God carried me through it all, you know. Whatever he wants me to do, I'm, I'm ready to go. You want me to go to Iowa? Yes, sir, I'm going to Iowa for you. You died on the cross with me. <laughs> the least I could do when I was your enemy. You want me to go to Alabama? Yes, sir. Even though my mother's got... Uh, dementia, sitting in a nursing home. My father's not in the greatest health. My brother Kenny just died of cancer, and I left for Alabama knowing he was, had cancer. My sister was a sick girl. My two aunts, are, who I'm close to, are not in the greatest of health. But I'm down here in Alabama. You know, you want you, you can sit there and Bill Winston's this and that and the other thing, but you can't say that. You know, the Lord knows my heart. He knows I'm. You know, I love him, and I back it up with my actions and my words. Like I, you know, so. Um, I'm serving. How many people are really serving the church? I don't know too many. I've been serving the church for a long time, you know, and it's the greatest honor, but do people really think it's an honor? You know, I, cause, and this goes back. What's the most important thing in your life? It's your relationship with Jesus Christ, but we don't live like that, do we? You know, we don't make decisions like that the way we should in accordance with that. So, go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse Ephesians 1 5. Interestingly, the prepositional phrase that I mentioned before, Dia Iesu Christo, uh, through Jesus Christ, which appears in verse 5, also appears in 13 other places in the New Testament. Uh, John 1 17, Acts 2, 10 36, Romans 1 8. Romans 5.21, 7.25, 16.27, you see it in Galatians 1.1, Philippians 1.11, Titus 3.6, Hebrews 13.21, 1 Peter 2.5, 4.11, and Jude 25. Now here, this prepositional phrase through Jesus Christ in verse 5 is expressing the idea that Jesus Christ is the Father's personal agency through whom he predestinated the church age believer for the purpose of adoption as his sons. And how do we know this? Well, it's indicated by the fact that his son's crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session at the Father's right hand provided the basis for electing and predestinating the church-age believer to adoption as his sons. This is further indicated by the fact that the church-age believers, uh, each, age, each church-age believer was adopted by the Father when he declared them justified through faith in his son. And lastly, it's also indicated by the fact that when the church-age believer was declared justified by the Father at their conversion through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, 
again identified them with his son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the Father's right hand. Now, uh, if you look at Ephesians 1, 5 again, it says, He did this by predestinating us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of his will. And uh, let me see the NIV, what do they, they have, verse 5. Uh, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And the ESV, they say he predestined us for adoption to himself uh, as uh, sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So you see this phrase, to himself, in the ESV, the Net Bible. Uh, let's see, do they? what do they do, the Net Bible? It's kind of interesting. I can't find it there. Uh, NIV. Oh, let's see. So that's interesting. So the ESV, to himself. Now, if you look at my translation, this is interesting here. Um, if you look at my translation, he did this. Let me blow this up. He did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself, okay? According to the pleasure of his will. So for himself is the preposition ace atom. For himself is how I translate it. It's uh, the referent is the father here. He, it's referring to the father and not the son because the father is the subject of this participial clause, is he not? Yes. It emphasizes this word. It's the uh, intensive uh, personal pronoun, autos. It's an intensive one. It emphasizes the identity of the father as adopting church age believers through the personal intermediate agency of his son, Jesus Christ, because of his love. This word autos is also expressing the idea that the father predestinated church-age believers for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his attribute of love through Jesus Christ was for the benefit of himself. Uh, so this uh, preposition, if you look at my um, back up here, see this preposition, ace, okay? It's functioning here, and it has a wide semantic usage. It can be used as a marker purpose, uh, reference, or it could be here, as I think it is, it's marker of advantage or, or a benefactive marker, a, benefit, uh, a marker of benefaction. So that would express the fact, the idea that the father predestinated church age believers for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his attribute of love through Jesus Christ was for the benefit of himself. So that's why I translate it for himself. It benefited, why should we do this? Well, it benefited the father to do all these things, to predestinate us to adoption as his son through his, Jesus Christ, his son, it benefited the Father to do this because it would bring glory to himself and that it would manifest his grace policy towards sinners, which flows from his attribute of love. And then lastly, we'll wrap up our class today, The we have another prepositional phrase, which you see in this, this uh, you see in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, this long run-on sentence, and you see it in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, the great prayer, which I'm actually almost finished working on, which is fantastic that he prays, he prays for these things after he tells them what, God did for us through both the Son and the Spirit. Um, you see in this section, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and you see it also in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, Paul piling on prepositional phrases and, uh, and participles, which makes good for good Greek. It looks like a long run-on sentence, both sections, but which makes bad English, but in Greek it's prop, no problem to do that. It's just a pain to try and translate, and I don't think it's that big of a deal, but, um, but it's, it can be a pain to translate it into, into the English language. So now we have one more prepositional phrase to discuss here in verse 5, which will wrap, our, wrap up our study of verse 5. Uh, the prepositional phrase, kata, tain, eudokion, to, thelematos, atu, which is translated according to the pleasure of his will. That prepositional phrase indicates that it pleased the Father to predestinate church-age believers for the purpose of adoption as, his, as sons for himself, alone because of his love through, through Jesus Christ. It's expressing this prepositional phrase according to the pleasure of his will. It's expressing the idea that the father predestinating church-age believers for the purpose of adoption as sons for his purpose alone through Jesus Christ corresponds to the pleasure of his will. Thus, it was according to his will to predestinate church-age believers for the purpose of adoption as sons for his purpose alone to benefit himself because of his love through Jesus Christ. So the father wants to restore fallen humanity to its rightful place. And so uh, he pre-elected and predestinating us. Uh, that was uh, and to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans 8, 28 through 30. 
uh, to be adopted as his sons. Okay, the father wanted to restore, he wanted to have a bride for his, his son, and his son Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, who was in union with him and identified with him in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session, the right hand of the father, where rulers with Christ, right? We would uh, restore fallen humanity to its place of ruling over the works of God's hands, which was God's original plan, according to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, his original plan uh, for humanity was to rule over the works of his hands. So the fall of Adam and Eve through that a monkey wrench and that whole idea. And so God, now we have this story of salvation that we see in our Bibles, and God's doing something very, very beautiful. Uh, and it was all driven by his attribute of love, that he, he loves us, he loves his son, and he loves us, and we're to walk in that love with each other. All these things that we're learning in this preface of this epistle should cause us to pray and to worship God, the Father. He's worthy of praise and glorification. So that's what it, you know, eulogetas, as we saw in verse 3. He's worthy of our praise. And so why? Well, Paul's giving us reasons in verses 3 through 14. He elected, he predestinated us to, be, to adoption as his sons, uh, according to his pleasure of his will. And uh, he also he redeemed us to, out of the slave market of sin, in which we were all born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And we appropriated that redemption that his son accomplished at the cross by exercising faith in Jesus at justification. And then you have the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14. The Father's worthy of praise because of what the Spirit did for us. And he sealed us. Uh, he has sealed us and gave us the guarantee of rewards for faithful service and a resurrection body at the rapture of the church, which is imminent. So uh, instead of, one of the things we need to understand, and I know in our culture, because we're so narcissistic, we're narcissistic, we're all narcissistic because we're all sinners, and sinners are selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, okay? And the most miserable people, and I know because I used to be one of them, are the most selfish and, self selfish and self-absorbed people are the most miserable people. And the most difficult people to deal with because it's all about them. When we come to Bible class, and I've tried to teach this over the years in my in my churches uh, at that that I've presided over, is that it's not always Bible class is not always about you and your problems. You know, sometimes you learn about God; it can help you. It can many times it'll help you learn to deal with your problems. You know, people want to. Oh, I have problems with my kid. I have problems with this. I have. I get it. And then there, the Bible talks about marriage and raising kids, but. Uh, not a lot. I mean, it does, but not as much as you think. You know, in marriage problems, you know, the way you could solve marriage problems is just practice the command to love one another. How did God treat you? So that's how you need to treat your spouse. Instead of, you know, calling up Peggy Sue or Billy Bob and complaining about your husband or your wife, you know, or, you know, getting, to, you know, getting upset and, you know, why don't you practice the command to love one, which you're supposed to do anyways. Maybe you mate. Maybe you, your mate, your spouse, will wake up, and uh, maybe not. But at least you're doing the right thing, which you'll be rewarded for. So it's not always about us. It's about God, really. It's, it's about Jesus Christ worshiping Him and the Father and the power, the power of the Spirit. And let's 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 be occupied with God did for us and how we how much He shows He values us as we're seeing in this preface. He values us so much. We're created in His image. He loved us so much. He values us so much that He was willing to abandon his son and have his son face his wrath in our place. Man, I mean, that's just incredible that he would do that. And I mean, if that doesn't wake, it doesn't make you think and make you praise God and pray and thank him. And if that doesn't make your problems dissipate, you know, put things in perspective, everything's about perspective. Well, look at God did for you and I, and look at the great future that we have, which is imminent. I mean, if you were to die or the rapture, whichever is first, now you'd be absent from the body, face to face with the Lord in a resurrection body. You're going to get rewards for faithful service. I mean, come on. It's like you can't lose. But yet the devil gets us occupied with ourselves. He, pl he plays up to our self uh, narcissistic nature. You know, churches are just filled with people who want it. It's all about them. You know, they, they draw attention to themselves and, you know, and and uh, complain and be a nuisance to people and just, you know, instead of, you know, learning, applying what they're being taught in Bible class, you know, it's, you know, we're here to worship God. It's about God, about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not about us. You know, we're, we're the object of God's grace. We didn't earn or deserve any blessings at all. They did it from their attribute of love, their character and integrity. We don't, we deserve nothing but God's wrath, but he didn't want to do that. So uh, by making the non-meritorious decision to trust in his son, 
He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the greatest blessing is your, your eternal relationship and fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that something? And members of the body of Christ, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So I hope this lesson will be a blessing to you. Let's close. Prayer, Heavenly Father, we pray that this lesson will be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the wonderful things that you've been teaching us in this great section of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This great doxology, and I just pray that it would be this study would be a great blessing to your people that were uh, listening or watching today live, and for those who might be watching or listening to these classes at a later date to the recordings. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.